You are listening to Koinonia Church, where we are igniting contagious faith in the one God who restores all. Wow. You're all way too kind. <laughs> Great words. I wanted to just, uh, wow. Let me get here. Okay. Good morning, Koinonia. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure uh, to be with you this morning, uh, and it's really been a joy to work with the uh, prophetic leaders over the last uh, three days. It's really been great. I want to uh, kind of ricochet off something that Pastor Chad said just a couple moments ago. Before I do, I want to introduce you to my wife, Trish. Would you stand up? She's, uh, she's my, we've been married 50, 52 years, yeah? Holy cow, that's, that's way too much. Anyway, it's, it's like 52 years, four kids, 11 grandkids, and we're still vertical. So how's that? Uh, I want to I go back to something Pastor Chad said about um, disconnect. Uh, a number of years ago, I'm going to say, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I was in uh, India, in Calcutta. We went to uh, the convent of... Uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, y'all heard of her, right? No, the work that she's done in the monkey market there with the, the poverty-stricken and then, of course, all over the world. And, uh, but she said something that was really interesting. She said, the problem of poverty and starvation in, in India isn't nearly as dire as the problem of loneliness in the West. People are lonely. More, more so than ever. It's interesting. We're all connected. You know, we have our, our connection devices, and yet we're disconnected. So your journey, your journey uh, meetings are really important. Take it really seriously. If you count yourself as a member of Koinonia, uh, and this is this is gonna is gonna be your home or is your home, you need to be at home in a journey group. I say that because I believe it's building church. Okay. Uh, what I'd like to do this morning is to, to dive right in and tell you what I believe the Lord is saying to Koinonia Church. And I, I believe this. God is calling Koinonia into a new season, into a season of taking new territory, territory for the kingdom of God. Yeah? That's a, that's a, I think, do you think that's a good word? Yeah. I think that's a good word. And, uh, to that end, it's in my heart this morning to talk about uh, seeing what God is doing. In Isaiah 43, it's really interesting. Uh, God speaking through Isaiah says, Behold, I do a new thing. Will you perceive it? Will you not see it? And when, when God says behold, it means check this out, right? Check this out. I'm doing something. I am creating a new season of territory. Will you perceive it? And the implication is this that God can do a new thing and we can miss it. Huh? It's, uh, I've been a pastor 45 years. I've been pastoring at some level, 40 years in a church I planted with my wife. And, and I have missed stuff. And it's not because I was sinning. It was because I was dense. It was because uh, I wasn't listening to my wife. It was uh, those kinds of things. Uh, and so I, I, I'm kind of impassioned this morning that Koinonia would perceive this new season of territory-taking 
that God is taking you all into. I'm excited for you. Is that, is that okay? I'm excited for you guys. All right. Uh, so it's in my heart this morning to talk a little bit about light and blindness and gathering of sight, how we see and how we have a spiritual perception when God is moving and what to do with it. So there's a, there's a principle here that I'll start with. I call this message Three Blind Mice, and you'll find out in just a little while why, okay? But I want to begin with this principle. The problem with being blind to something in God is that you just don't know what you don't know, huh? It's, uh, it's, it's you know, you, you, you walk through life, you don't even know that you're not seeing what God's doing because all kinds of other good things are happening, all right? So I'll give you an example. Uh, I come from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and Bethlehem is a city that was founded in 1740. It was founded by a group of people called Moravian Christians, Moravians. Has anybody ever heard of the Moravians? Anybody? Oh, yeah, probably prayer warriors, okay? Moravians were noted for being the ultimate beginning of something called the Great Awakening, which happened in the 18th century. Anybody ever heard of this thing called the Great Awakening? Okay. If you heard of names like uh, Charles Wesley, John Wesley, uh, George Whitfield, uh, and, and many, many, many others, uh, those were individuals who were uh, leaders of this move of God called the Great Awakening, which emerged in Europe and came to this country, and really, in a lot of spiritual ways, were, were responsible for America becoming a nation. And so you can look that up. Look up the Great Awakening. You get all kinds of cool church history. But there was this group, the ultimate, ultimate beginning of that move of God was with a group of, of brethren Christians called Moravians who were in East, what's now East Germany, and, and, uh, and they had a community that came under a community of faith that came under uh, the protection of a, a, a royal member of the German, uh, German hierarchy. And he was a Christian. His name was Zinzendorf. And they experienced an immense move of the Holy Spirit. Trish, what was the year? 1737? 1737. The Holy Spirit fell on this place called Herrnhut in Germany. And, and, uh, and they just were captivated for Jesus in a new way. And so the Lord began to speak to this guy and said, you know, we need to send missionaries all over the earth. And they went. Their, their missions are still... They sold themselves into slavery in order to preach to the African slaves. Sold themselves. Died in slavery. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Look them up. But pertinent to this morning, they sent... 40 or so people in about 1739, 1740, to Pennsylvania, which was a wilderness at the time. And the sole purpose was to establish a, a city and a colony that would be the city of God, they named it Bethlehem prophetically, that would reach indigenous Americans, uh, American, uh, what we called later American Indians. And in doing that, they became the, the sole most successful group of missionaries among the Native Americans in North America. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Is it not? All right. Well, why am I telling you that? Well, they sent these people over, 40 people. They went into the wilderness, cut down trees, started to build a city. And then they marched around it seven times and claimed the city in the name of Jesus. 
And that city went on for 100 years. They had a 100-year prayer chain. They prayed 24-7 for 100 years for their community. That's awfully amazing, too, is it not? And so it's known all over the world as the Moravian prayer chain. So this was a sacred city that was founded. It's a city I was not born there. God sent me there to plant the church, uh, the two of us, and, uh, and we worked there ever since. Well, about 15 years into uh, pastoring there, we'd been through a, a successful uh, ministry and a successive series of buildings, and we outgrew where we were. Okay? And uh, we were in downtown, we were in inner city church, and, and we needed a new building, but there was nothing available. We couldn't find anything that we could buy or renovate or do anything. We were stuck. And we did what most churches do. We, we put together a search team, and they went out looking. And being young and being ambitious, I said, this is my opportunity to get out of the center city. Right? And so I thought, oh, there's an airport nearby. Go out there. In the city, there's no parking uh, you, you're constantly dealing with, with uh, uh, the inner city problems. You've got addicts coming up, trying to get into the church. You have to keep the church locked a lot of times, which is not very welcoming. And all of these inner city problems, I said, hallelujah, Lord, this is where I have an opportunity to get out and really grow this baby. And uh, I was young and ambitious, but I had a wife. And, and she said, God is saying, don't leave the inner city. And I'd say, okay, but okay, we'll, we'll, we'll think about that. But I need, I need to see that this is, uh, <laughs> that this is really God. <laughs> and, and, and every time we would find uh, a building that was pretty serviceable outside the city, a prophet would come in. And the prophet didn't even know, it was three of them. And none of them knew that we were looking for, for a building. Uh, and, and somewhere in the course of ministry, they'd say, by the way, the Lord is saying this church should not leave the inner city. And Trisha, would, her elbow would go, <laughs> you know, like that. And, and, uh, and uh, that happened three times. And finally, you know, the third time, I thought, oh, boy, okay. And within two days, uh, a building that we had looked at, it was a, it was a bowling alley in the second floor it was a supermarket on the main floor and then it was a a, a, a warehouse in the in the basement about forty thousand some square feet and it became available it was tied up and it just suddenly became available and so i thought okay this is you know the first shot we have but it was even more in the center city than we were you know it was about four blocks toward the center of the city an empty area, all storefronts that was not attractive. And, and I said, but, you know, we've got these prophets. I have a Lord, the woman whom thou hast given me. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and so I, uh, so I called our lawyer because I knew this is my out. I knew that could, would never be zoned to be a church. It had to be zoned commercial, right? I mean, it's only, it's, it's only the only feasible explanation. Anyway, so I called, I called my lawyer and said, look, we were looking into this building. I know it's zoned to be commercial, which means it has less parking than we have now. It means it has more problems than we have now. I said, but I'll tell you what. He, I said, would you just check the zoning on this and give me a call back tomorrow? Call me back the next day. And he said this. 
He said, you're not going to believe this, Jack. I said, uh-oh. What? He said, that property is not only not zoned commercial, it's zoned to be a church. <laughs> I said, how, how, how can that be? He said, well, here's what happened. He said, when the Moravian community, which up until 1860 was a, just a, a, a religious community of Germans, ceded uh, the, the property of, of the whole city, they became a city in Pennsylvania. They became incorporated after 100 years. They rezoned the whole city, and that block that you're looking at was zoned to be a Moravian church. However, when they were rezoning the city, they rezoned all of the city, and they forgot that block. And here we are in the 20th century, and it's zoned to be a church. I mean, oh, man. So, uh, yeah, amen. So I said, see, I was supposed to be taking new territory, but I was blind to it. Uh -huh. I was, for a number of reasons, which we'll get into in a second. I was supposed to be getting into new territory, but I was blind to it. So I said to him, well, if, I said, if, if city council finds out we're going to buy the church or buy the, buy the property and put a church in, because there's no parking. I mean, there's all kinds of, of reasons to rezone that property. I said, if city council uh, finds out we're going we're to buy it and put a church in, can they rezone it? He said, absolutely. The minute they find out you're looking at this property to make it a church, They'll rezone it in a heartbeat. So you better buy it tomorrow. <laughs> and that's what we did. <laughs> and so today we've been there for, for years and years and years. It's a wonderful building. We have all kinds of inner city ministries, and I won't get into all that. But the point was, in my ambition, in what I, what I could characterize as being the good things that God was doing, because they're all good things that God was doing, I was blind because God was saying, behold, I do a new thing. Will you not, Jack, will you not perceive it? Huh? And I wasn't perceiving it. So I want to talk about that problem because I'm prophesying over Koinonia that this is going to be a church that move, is moving into a season. It's a season. It's not like next Tuesday. It's a season. And, and you're moving into a season where this church is going to become a territory-taking church church for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That's a good thing. All right. Now, there's this episode in the ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John uh, that I believe I want to focus on this morning. And uh, Jesus is about to lead his disciples. And he, this is all about blindness and seeing. Blindness and seeing. And so there's this episode, and I'll give you the context now. Jesus is about to lead his disciples into new territory and new theological territory new community territory new territory regarding the working of the miraculous jesus is going to do all this now jesus is in galilee now galilee is way up in the north of israel and he's coming into jerusalem he came into jerusalem three times during his ministry i think four or five times during his his life but the thing is, when he was doing all the miracles up in Galilee, Galilee's kind of like, um, I don't know, Arkansas. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like kind of nowhere in the, in the Jewish uh, scheme of things. Poor, if there's anybody here from Arkansas, I, I don't apologize. Anyway, so 
<laughs> so, so like, uh, so, so Jesus, every time, I mean, he's having this great ministry up in Galilee and Capernaum and all those places, and every time he comes down into Jerusalem, which is the center of religion, things start to get hot. You know, the temperature goes up in terms of conflict. Are you there? Okay, so last day of the Feast of Booths, last day of Tabernacles, and the disciples are really pumped because you don't make messiahs in Galilee. You make messianic kings in Jerusalem. And so they're thinking, hey, this is where, this is where it all comes together. This is where it's all going to really happen. So Jesus is entering, he's, he's entering into the, to the temple, okay? Now, before we get there, before I open up, I want to put down this little principle. Taking territory means to bring to any dimension of my life, whether it's my family, okay, could be your family, whether it's my, my education, whether it's my business, or whether it's my church, it, it means to, to bring to those dimensions of life, whether it's spiritual, physical, or psychological, the establishment of the domain of the kingdom of God. And there are all parcels all kinds of parcels in our lives, we're in the kingdom of God, but there are parcels in the lives that we live that aren't under the domain of the kingdom of God. Are you there? Right? For every one of us. We're in a season for territory taking. And the good news is you're going to be able to take some of those parcels of territory and pioneer them right into the kingdom of God. Okay. So back to John, the gospel of John. So I'm in John chapter 9 and verse 1. And as I said, Jesus is coming to the religious center and it's hot and there's controversy stirring. People know this guy who, who's uh, the miracle maker is in town and they want to see this guy. And Jesus is coming to the temple. The disciples are with him and this is Messiah making territory. Uh, but the fact is the disciples walk right by what God is doing. Behold, I do a new thing. Will you not perceive it? They were not perceiving it. They don't see it. So let's begin in John chapter 9, verse 1. And as he, that's Jesus, passed by, he saw a man. By the way, let me stop for a second. I'm going to do a, a, a running commentary. Is that okay? This is uh, the ESV with uh, Pastor Jack's annotations, okay? <laughs> okay, let's go back to it. Verse, verse 1, as he passed by Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, the words uh, uh, from birth here don't merely mean that he was blind from the day that he was born. The word uh, here means that he was conceived blind. Special word, only used here in the New Testament, genetes, which comes from the word genesis. His genesis was blindness. And he, he was neither blinded in the womb as a child. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a disease. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament. So this man was unfortunate in that he was birthed, but also conceived blind. Verse 2. And his disciples asked him. This is why they asked him. Say, Rabbi, which means they're expecting to be taught. It's teacher. Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be conceived blind. All right? And this is why they don't see what God is doing. Because it's the disciples' need to judge the man's moral condition 
that initiates the miracle. Huh? They need to see why this guy is unfortunate. Huh? Because why? Because their theology says bad things don't happen to good people. We're good people. We want to see why bad things happen to him so that we know that we can be comfortable. Are you there? Are you running to this otherwise? So anyway, so he says, you know, they say, who, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And, and what's, what I want to really point out here, too, is this man is not asking to be healed. At this point, this blind man has no dog in the hunt. Yeah? And, and so he exhibits no faith at this point. The blind man uh, uh, personally never elicits a miracle from Jesus. He's physically blind, but Jesus dis discerns with the disciples and with this blind man, this is territory taking time for the kingdom of God. And so, so not only is it territory taking for the blind man, there are other people who aren't seeing as well, and it's the disciples of Jesus, huh? Verse 3, so Jesus answers the disciples. He, and he says this, it was neither that man who sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other translations, it was so that God would be glorified in him. Wow. Well, that's kind of crazy theology. And Jesus does not answer, watch this, Jesus never answers what caused the illness. He says what didn't cause it. And what didn't cause it was sin, not at least personal sin. So Jesus is concerned with the purpose of his blindness more than he is the cause of the blindness. Huh? And the purpose of the the blindness is this territory taking for the kingdom of God so that all may see not only the blind man but the disciples as well all right verse 4 and I love what Jesus says here because this is this is neat Jesus says he brings the disciples he, he just includes them into the situation Jesus he doesn't say this Jesus doesn't say I must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day Jesus says to the disciples, we, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day because the night is coming when no one can work. So the issue for Jesus is perception, is being able to see what God is doing. Jesus said to Philip, you, know, you see, I only do what I see the Father doing. So I have to have the perception in order to take the territory. All right. Verse 5, while I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. He says, I am the one who's capable of making men and women see, illuminating their souls and their spirits. If I can make a, a, a person conceived blind physically see, guess what? I can make lots of other people see as well in this moment. Wow. So verse 6, so when he had said this, I love this. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Now, I want you to envision this. Like back in, in, um, uh, in Mark 8.22 at Bethsaida, he spit in the guy's eyes and the guy could see. Remember that, you know? But here, I mean, it's even more kind of, I don't know, Arkansas. You know, it's, it's like... <laughs> 
oh man, I'm going to get in trouble if this, this message goes there. Anyway, I got friends there. Anyway, so, so he says, he says, uh, Jesus does this. He goes, and he spits. That's what he does. That's what the scripture says. And then he goes down into the dirt, and it's important. He moistens the dirt with his spittle, and then he brings up the dirt, and he makes a poultice out of it. Only place that happens in, in the scriptures that I'm aware of. And so, so uh, the use of the dirt of the ground is new territory. Huh? And so the kneading of the dirt in, in the soil, you know, and the is, is uh, by the way, is, here's a little interesting tidbit. To, for him to do that, it's the Sabbath, for him to do that, to actually knead soil on the Sabbath, you know, do this, is breaking the Sabbath, according to the Mishnah. Now, that's not, that's not Jewish, the Scripture's law, that's, that's the interpretation of the Scripture by the Pharisees. So he's kind of like, re, he's taking new religious territory right there. Are you, are you there? Okay. So here we are. Uh, and then he says to him, he says in verse 7, Jesus says to the man conceived blind, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He sends him to be sent, okay? And, uh, and, and, and it's about a quarter of a mile away. The man, so he went away, the man went away and washed, and he came back seeing. The man who would have washed in Siloam plenty of times. I mean, that was the pool where you went to get healed in Jerusalem. Comes back, but this time he can see. And you know what? The disciples can see too. So there wasn't just a healing going on. There was territory taken everywhere, right? Verse 8, therefore the neighbors, I get like, this is his crew, right? Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar, we're saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? We know this guy. Verse 9, others were saying, this is he. But still others were saying, no, no, it's not him. It just looks like him. <laughs> That's what it's saying. No, but he is like him. So their lack of belief in the miraculous kept them from seeing that he was healed. They were blind. Right? Another blindness coming got the disciples are blind, right? The disciples are blind. The Pharisees are blind. The neighbors are blind. And the interesting thing about this story, it's the blind man who now sees. <laughs> it's interesting. So, so he comes back seeing. And they said, no, that's not him. It's just like him. They would rather that this, this person that they were familiar with, they would rather he wasn't healed than they would have to change their theology. Huh? <laughs> so the blind man so verse 9 others were saying no it's it's just like him and so but the blind man in verse 9 kept saying no 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 it's me it's really me i'm the one you know and so i find this fascinating so they were saying to him in verse 10 well how then how were your eyes opened and verse 11 he said uh the man who was called jesus made clay. Now the word clay, they would, be, they would have been speaking in Aramaic. The word clay here is Adam, Adam. Adam. The man made Adam in, and, and, and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went away and washed and I received sight. Wow. 
Now, here's the, here's the kicker, verse 12. So they said to him, well, where is he? And, and he said, I don't know. The blind man, at this point at least, who is healed and can see, has yet to see Jesus. <laughs> that comes later, but we can't go there this morning. Now, this particular miracle in John chapter 9 isn't just a miracle of healing. The man was conceived blind. His personal genesis, okay, was blindness, okay? Um, but this is what I call a creative miracle. In other words, it wasn't something, there wasn't some neurological problem that was adjusted. Something new had happened. New territory had taken place, yeah? Um, Wherever, whatever neurological apparatus that the guy needed to be able to see wasn't, wasn't adjusted, it was recreated. And I believe this is why Jesus turns to the dirt of the ground. When Jesus bends to the ground and gathers, gathers the Adam of the earth, he's mimicking, he's making a picture of what the Father did in Genesis 2 in creating you and me. Huh? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, in Genesis 2, it says, Genesis 2, 5, it says, a mist used to rise from the earth and wet the surface of the ground. In, 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 in Hebrew, it's lifnai adama. It means, and it literally means this, the face of Adam was wet. That's, that's great. And then God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, adama, and breathed into his soul nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In Hebrew, even in Hebrew today, if you go to Israel, the word for Adam is Adam, and the word for ground or soil is Adam. It's interesting, isn't it? The word for blood is Adam. You know, and there are reasons for that. You can, we, we could spend a whole morning on that, but we can't go there. Anyway, uh, because what's essential here is Jesus wets the soil and performs a little piece of what the Father did what the Father did at Genesis in creating us. He recreates the guy. He takes new territory for the kingdom of God. He can do that today. He can do that today with Koinonia. He can do that with your families. He can do that with my family. He can do that with my job. He can do that with my education. He can, he can make, take new territory. Never demean yourself. Never say something is impossible with God if you have a need that accomplishing or fulfilling that need will increase the territory for the kingdom of God. Yeah? Hallelujah. Where was I here? Okay. So the activity of taking kingdom territory is often creative. It's creative activity. Calling into existence that which does not exist. Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Paul says, we have a God who calls into existence that which does not exist. Not that he just did it before. It's part, part of what he does. It's, it's what he does. It's part of who he is. Now, this, can, that this calling into existence, this creative activity, he can create sight that does not exist. He, he can create a ministry that does not exist. He can, he, it can be an opportunity in our lives that does not exist. But I believe that there are three obstacles here that we need to just pay attention to just very quickly, and I call them the three blind mice. You wondered what I was going to get to it, right? <laughs> First is theological blindness. Theological blindness or blindness of mind. It comes on us when we create God in our image 
and then we put on God our motives and our reactions so that every, in other words, we build God to do what we would do in a situation because that way everything's safe and it's predictable and it's tight. See, I see this blind mouse in the reaction of the disciples to the guy born blind. The disciples start the conversation. Jesus is walking by the guy. The disciples stop him and say, whoa, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And, and they see the man's blindness is his fault. After all, they think bad things don't happen to good people. Well, we all know differently, didn't, don't we? You know? Look, if good things only happen to bad people, then there would not have been a crucifixion. You're there. I mean, our salvations are built upon all the bad things we did coming upon a good person, the most perfect person in history, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I mean, if, if the disciples are right, well, his blindness is his fault. And then we're good people, so we are safe. See, that's theological blindness. If someone suffers, it must be their fault because God is good and I'm good. <laughs> and they're really spouting off the laws of the Pharisees. Rabbi Ami, who was one of the great rabbis at the time in Jerusalem, he says this, there's no death without sin and there's no suffering without personal iniquity. That is not true. That was the theology that was reigning at the time. All right, hallelujah. Where am I going here? Well, the primary need for the miracle that Jesus responds to then is not that this man can physically see. It's, it's the reason for the miracle is so that like the Pharisees, we can see that all human suffering is in our fault. But we have the answer to human suffering in taking new territory for the kingdom of God. Lots of different ways. Communicating Christ. Uh, praying for the miraculous, uh, bringing healing, those kinds of things. So that's theological blindness. All right, there's another kind of theological or blindness. There's another, another blind mouse here this morning. It's religious blindness. It's blindness of heart. So you have blindness of mind, blindness of heart. Blindness of heart comes on us when we entrench ourselves in a form of spirituality, I should say religion, that provides us security, it's good stuff, we're secure, affirmation, status, and, and the form of that religion becomes an end in itself, and then it insulates us from any change. Change becomes dangerous, right? Have you seen that? Yeah. And so the neighbors of the man born blind, they're in the temple, so they're religious characters, right? That's why they're in the temple. And so the neighbors of the man born blind are incapable of, uh, incapable of believing that it's even him that's before them because they would rather declare him to be an imposter than cast their religious belief and face up to the fact that, wow, there may be a Messiah in the temple. Huh? Whoa. So the, all they say is he's not one of us. Huh? He's not one of us. Uh, I'll tell you a little story that I couldn't tell in the first session. It was really interesting. So, so on Mother's Day, it was Mother's Day, uh, big, big service, the place is packed. It's, it's a service. We have a physician, uh, a doctor who's in the church. She's, uh, she's African. She's from Cameroon. She's a friend of ours. 
And, and she had been praying for a child. She had a series of miscarriages and a sweetheart of a lady. And, you know, it's Mother's Day, and I'm ready to preach my Mother's Day message. And she walks up to me before I'm to preach in the break. You know, people are milling about. The kids are going downstairs. And she comes up to me, and I can see a tear coming down from her eye. And she said, she said, Pastor, I know you're going to preach now, but will you just whisper a prayer for me because I'm spotting, what she says. I'm spotting, which means she's thinking she's having another miscarriage. So, so I'm, oh, man, you know, now I've got to preach. <laughs> you know how that goes. And so you're there, and, you know, one side of your brain is interceding, and the other side your brain's trying to speak to your sheep. It's that kind of thing. Immediately after, after I, I, my message, I grab Trish. Trish has a medical background. And, and we run to the hospital because she was on her way to the emergency room. So we get to the, uh, the emergency room. She's back behind a, uh, back in, a, in a cubicle. They've got her attached to, uh, to a fetal monitor and all kinds of things. And uh, we're there, and, a, and a, a, a doctor comes up and says, look, if you could just step out for a second, I want a moment with her. And they had run, a, uh, they had run a, uh, an ultrasound on her, <clears throat> and he says to her, you know, and this particular physician is a believer, right? And she's a believer, okay? And this, this physician says, I'm sorry, we've run the ultrasound twice, and uh, there's the child that's within you is not living. The child is dead. And, and uh, I don't know if you've been to West Africa. When West African women grieve, the, ho the whole earth knows it, man. She wailed. Her wailing filled the halls of the hospital. And Trish and I are like, okay, God, you know, this is as good a woman as I've ever met. What, what, what are we going to do now? And her husband hadn't gotten there yet. And uh, so Trish and I went in and we laid hands on her. And I just, uh, I felt like, well, she said, Trish, you said to me, I feel like we need to speak life to this womb. And, uh, you know, amen. And so, I mean, but that's, that's precarious, you know, because, you know, that's a precarious thing. This woman's grieving what she understands is a death. She's a physician, so she's following the science, yeah. And a physician has told her, and everybody's believer here, so it's a precarious situation. So, so, uh, so I said, yeah, let's do it, you know. So we get an anointing oil, we anoint her, and then we speak life to the womb. And then that's that. Her husband comes in, we let her with her husband, and we go home. I go back the next day because they're going to do a, they're going to, to do a stillbirth, all right? And they went in to do the stillbirth. Listen to this. They went in to do the stillbirth, and the, the, uh, the OBGYN who was going to do the stillbirth walks in, and they do a, a, a pre-procedure ultrasound, and, and he says, I don't, I don't understand this, but there must have been a mistake, because I, I'm seeing a healthy child here. The little, the little boy's name is David, okay, and he's a teenager now in our youth group, yeah, in our church, right? Now, that goes back to the hospital, and everyone, ooh, you know, and everyone's worried because, you know, here's malpractice suits, and you know how the deal goes today. Everybody's frightened 
what she's, she's saying now. God, God did a miracle. <laughs> I know that the staff in that, in, in, in that ER, you know, because I know other guys who work in that ER, at least more than half that staff is saying, nah, we got it wrong in the first place. The, the, you know, the, the ultrasound machine wasn't functioning properly. You know, anything but a miracle. That is blindness, you know. And, but she knew, she knew, God is taking new territory for the sake of his kingdom. That's a great story, is it not? That's a true story. Okay. Okay. All right. Lastly, psychological blindness is blindness of soul. So you have blindness of mind, blindness of heart, blindness of soul. Psuche is the word for soul from which we get the word psyche. And that happens to us when we've expended so much energy in adapting to our handicap that we can't bear to let it go. And uh, I gotta go quickly here. Uh, we, we had someone in a, in, in a, we had someone in the church who's, we had a healing conference. It was with, actually it was with Randy Clark. And it was a four-day conference and we just prayed for healing for four days. <clears throat> we had a gal come in who was the sister of our worship leader and she was, uh, she was deaf. And she, she was healed miraculously on a Saturday night and she heard her family's words for the first time. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. There was a film made of it and all that. Year later... She's still living, she was still living the life of a deaf woman. Well, why? Because her whole world was built around her deafness. And she did not know how to function in the midst of the new territory that had been taken for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now, I don't know where she is right now or how she's living right now, but she was still using sign language. She was still in her deaf. She had not gone, gone to develop. It was too frightening because she'd gotten used, she'd gotten used to her, her incomplete state to become complete, right, right. That's blindness of soul. And I'll trust that that's been addressed by the people who needed to address it, but that's where the church comes in. That's taking new territory for the kingdom of God, all right. All right, so I'm flying through this stuff. Here, here's the wonder, wonderful thing about the, the man born blind. All that, I love this, because hear this, Koinonia Church. All that was required of the guy born blind, the only thing required of him, they, he didn't even have to have faith, right? I mean, he just was stuck in an argument between the Pharisees, the disciples, and Jesus, right? And all that was required of him was that he would be obedient and be sent, See, when, when new territory is about to be taken, we got to be obedient and be sent. And he just had to go do that. This time he came to the, the, the pool. By the time he was finished, uh, he didn't even need the angel to stir up the waters. He was a new man taking new territory. Okay. Okay, where's all this going? I'm prophesying now, okay? This is where I want to close. I believe that Koinonia as a church Hear me, hear me, uh, brothers and sisters. I believe that Koinonia as a church is poised in God to enter a season of taking new territory for the kingdom of God. Kingdom increase. I believe that many of the brothers and sisters here at Koinonia are going to find yourselves 
personally, not just ecclesiastically, not, not just as a church, but personally taking new territory for the kingdom of God for yourselves, for your families, where you work, where you go to school, where you teach. Hallelujah. I hear the Lord saying that the territory taking is going to have a spiritual dimension, an emotional dimension, a harvest dimension, and a physical dimension. Okay. This is, of course, being recorded, and I'll give it, I'll give it to Pastor uh, uh, when I leave. But to encapsulate what I'm saying, I hear God saying to Koinonia, be prepared to enter a pioneering season, appropriating a new level of effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Now, concerning the spiritual dimension, I see God upping the levels of effectiveness of your prayer teams, uh, especially in the areas of physical healing, and especially, especially, especially in the area of deliverance. I believe the Lord, even now, among your prayer warriors, is, is increasing the gift of the distinguishing of spirits, the distinguish angelic spirits, demonic spirits, the spirit of God, and the human spirit. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing captives set free like, like never before. A spirit of wisdom is going to literally inhabit the counseling ministries such that what took months of therapy will be distilled into weeks of therapy because of the increase of the words of wisdom that God is going to give you all, okay? And all, but all, all, amen, all this is going to pique the curiosity of all those who are outside the walls of the church. Word's going to spread, okay? And it'll be an increase in harvest, taking new territory through harvest, which is going to be, I, I'm not prophesying revival. I'm, I'm prophesying nothing that dramatic, but a steady, a steady inclusion of the lost consequent to the taking of new territory in Koinonia Church. Um, I think that's merciful so you can adjust to what God's doing, right? Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I hear the Lord saying that worship is going to reach higher heights in praise, but simultaneously deeper depths of encounter because he's burdening leaders, watch this, to mine again, this is what I got, is burdening leaders in worship to mine again the depths of worship that seeded the old revivals and then pioneer that gold and refashion it to a unique corporate song that will characterize the identity of Koinonia Church, which worships with a new compass of what heaven looks like. Okay. Hallelujah. The song of the Lord is going to rise again in this place in a new way. Huh? Yeah, amen. Um, which reminds me, after service, Trish, you have a word for someone on the worship team? And if, who is it? You've already talked, Pastor. I have a word. If this young lady who is playing piano, there she is. You have not because you asked not. <laughs> there you are. I have a word for you after service, okay? Is that a, what's your name? Jordan. Jordan. I have a word for you after service, and, and uh, I'll share it there, okay? All right. Hallelujah. I, I was thinking she might not be here, you know? Okay. But I hear the Lord saying that there's real estate territory to be taken. 
In the church, I got specifically the word mirror. Uh, this church will mirror itself on other ground such that a, a people would have been lost, to, who would, would, have, would have been lost to apathy, will become alive again in the resurgence of hope. So this church is going to mirror itself. That's new territory. And then Pastor Andrew, you heard this before, God is saying to get on your coonskin cap. <laughs> Davy Crockett's in the room. All right. <laughs> and put on kingdom spectacles. I said this almost joking, but not quite. I saw angels coming down and saying to Pastor Andrew, Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those peepers? And <laughs> when whereas, look, Pastor, you, you have proliferated in that which God says, that which I've given you to do faithfully with so much love, I'm going to draw you into a season of reproduction because love reproduces. Huh? And you shall pull, pull the rug out from under the enemy's plans for this broad region. And so, but God says also, don't look too hard. Don't be burdened for vision because I'll show you the time and then it will be your time to see clearly what I do, says God. And the provision will be there, says God, before you even ask of it because this is a season of territory taking, says the Lord. Amen. Amen. Is it okay if I seal that word? Would you mind all standing? Right? I just want to pray over that word and seal it. I'm over a little bit, and I'm sorry for that, but, you know, my ADHD kicks in. You never know where you're going to go. Father, just receive this. Receive this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak a seed word over every heart and soul and spirit that identifies itself with this family which is the church of Jesus Christ called Koinonia. I speak a word that their, the eyes of their hearts would supernaturally become enlightened in such a way to perceive what you are doing, when you are doing, how you are doing it. God, I just release that kind of perception in the name of Jesus for the sake of the Holy Ghost energy that it will surely create. Lord, I pray for, for, uh, for human ambitions to be, to be reshaped into holy ambitions such that humility would permeate the ongoing life of this church and that you do what you do so best. You cause us to take territory for the sake of the increase of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. It's so great to be with you. Amen. 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 Wow. Would you please say thank you to Pastor Jack and to the Lord again. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can join us in person on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. or online at the same times including Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. Visit our website at kchanford.com. Koinonia Church, where we are igniting contagious faith in the one God who restores all.